0: Do you ever wonder what happened to your friends from high school? I mean, you were so close. You laughed together, you cried together, you shared some of the best years of your lives together. And yet, somehow through life, you just lost touch. Now it's time to relive those moments once again. Introducing the podcast that takes you back in time to the place where it all began. This is Class Reunion. We're bringing you all the gossip, secrets, and scandals from your high school days that you won't want to miss. Join us as we catch up with old classmates and dive into the wildest stories from our high school days. From those legendary parties to the infamous cliques, we're spilling all the tea on who's who and what really went down. So grab a seat, turn your volume up, And get ready for a trip down memory lane. Class Reunion, the podcast that reunites us all. Okay, listeners, today I have a very special guest with me. Please welcome my friend, Ed Boyd, who's the control center for WGHS. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to use his proper high school title because he ran the controls for our morning announcements. So everyone's probably familiar with your program that you had for greeting us every day and giving us the sports scores and all that good stuff. Did you do that all years of the high school?
1: Thanks, Leanne. Hi. Uh, I don't remember. Maybe it was just one year. Okay. It was part, I think it was part of the radio speech class.
0: Yes. And so it
1: was a blast. And I was just one of several people doing it, but I loved it. I was big into radio. Loved Detroit radio. Would go to WDET overnights to do pledge drives for their oh, alternative wow. music shows, and got into jazz. By listening to our local public radio in Detroit so if i made one smart move it was probably not going into radio (laughs) because i hear it's a really tough profession especially it is consolidation but
0: yeah and one day you wake up and i'll send you tune into your favorite station and it's just solid music that's from like the elevator music you're thinking hmm they totally let everybody go like that was it the airwaves were just filled with music you mentioned wdet and we had talked about your days on the radio I actually had a college internship from Oakland University for the Jazz Festival downtown.
1: But that's it's a major it's a major jazz festival across the country.
0: Yes, so yes, that's pretty cool. I met Etta James, and <sighs> um, I know some very very cool people. If I have something to look back on and what I would have done, that was an incredible job. And I left for you know more money out of college, but it was such a fantastic opportunity. So it's funny you mentioned that I loved all the jazz. So tell me a little bit about when you grew up in Michigan, I know mm-hmm. you have a brother who was two years younger, and then we'll we'll dive into high school. But being that you and I've already had a previous conversation, we're going to talk about high school, but I really want to go back to what it is you're doing, because it's just such important work. And I'm incredibly honored to have you share with me what you did. So I do want to spend some time on that. So give me the lowdown about Ed and where you grew up and some okay. fun things about high school. And then we're going to dive into your mediation
1: skills. Okay, thanks. Well, my memories of Groves are actually really good. Yeah. And I contrast those to what we talked yesterday about like when you see movies and or even, you know, TV, and they depict high school as clicky and mean girls ish. And I mean, I'm sure it wasn't perfect. But I just remember people being genuine teachers being pretty down to earth, the kind of the chill vibe at -hmm. Groves as I remember Mm -hmm. it. And the things I probably remember most are marching band and our band the radio station that was really fun and some things like that so i don't think i did anything with sports in high school i think i did in middle school junior high and i just remember the music before i think the radio speech class was probably mid-morning because of the announcements yeah and uh chris murphy and i would have class beforehand for environmental science and i would always bring in a stack of vinyl so you can imagine like how heavy all that was you know Way back in the day and it would that would be right before I would go in. So
0: remember Sam's Sam's Jams, I think was, was one of them where you could buy resale of oh, yeah, vinyl. Yeah. Uh huh. Oh yeah. vinyl. Do you have any vinyl now? I'm, I
1: still I still have some left. I got rid of all the CDs because I figured yeah. it's digital, so you might as well just right. pull it off the cloud. Right. But no, I did hang on to local Detroit Rock Records. And some of the new wave stuff that's maybe not as accessible and a lot of the jazz stuff that I collected. So I tried to hold on to stuff that had some sort of memory to it.
0: Do you have the equipment like I so I want to go back to it because now it's super popular again. Thank goodness. And there's nothing like that sound. But the actual turntable I'm scared to buy because I don't want to overinvest. I don't want to underinvest. But you have like
1: the I have uh, not the have original. The, I actually do have my original speakers that I bought oh, probably wow. in nineteen eighty two or three on Woodward Avenue. I am forgetting Stop. the name, but it was, it was at, back in the day. You could go to specialist stereo stores okay. and and spend some money. And for me, it was a lot of money. But yeah, I have new everything else since then. But it's the original Kef speakers oh that gosh. I got on Woodward Avenue. Yeah, that was
0: I mean, it's like our appliances, you know, now they're so fancy and they're always going on the fritz, but you had a Kenmore from Sears and you couldn't get rid of that washer yeah. dryer. Like that thing ran for forever.
1: Forever. Yep. It's
0: amazing. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's very yeah. cool. And you had you have a brother that was a couple of years younger. Yeah.
1: So, so what happened was when, when I was, so I went to college in Ohio, mm-hmm. a small liberal arts college called Hiram. While I was in Hiram, my parents moved from Detroit area to Atlanta. And then my brother Dave went to Cleveland State and then transferred from Cleveland State down to Georgia, where I think he finished his education. And so at that point, none of us had any ties to Michigan anymore because my sister basically never lived there. And then I was living in Ohio and then everyone else is in Atlanta. I took a little bit of time off from Hiram and did some community college, actually took a jazz class at Georgia State and a chemistry class at Georgia State, which made a lot of sense. It was much easier than taking it at my school. It wasn't doing great academically in college. I probably would have benefited from that year of going to community college to get a little more confidence. But that kind of did that It was just later, like between junior and senior year, I believe, is when I went. But it also exposed me to a different city. Atlanta is pretty cool, different climate, different culturally. And then I worked at a restaurant, and that sort of became my first career was restaurant management after college. And then I also uh, came out in college, and then was able to kind of you know experience gay Atlanta, which is pretty pretty amazing. Seeing down there, and it was also the height of the AIDS epidemic. So like right when graduated. So kind of all that was happening all at once. It felt like a very whole lot happening two or three year period.
0: And and I thought it was interesting because everyone does have their own journey. And you did not know at the time in high school your sexual preference. And so it wasn't something that was ever part of your landscape at the time. And it was something you discovered later in college that is its own Unique journey. And then to have all of that happen at the same time, we also spoke about what our vision of, of, of who was was gay. And we had George Michael, we had, you know, Cyndi Lauper was, was crazy with her great hair, great music, you know, even though Elton John was not necessarily out at that time. He was our Liberace at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's funny that these things were filtered in mm-hmm. our life in the 80s growing Madonna, up.
1: Madonna. Um,
0: Madonna, yeah. And
1: the Smiths, Morrissey, uh, yes. that whole scene. Yeah very uh, pretty fluid in terms of orientation and gender identity and so when i came out in college it's not like i was shocked exactly i just i think i legit just didn't know when i was in right. school. it's not like i i don't think i was like clinging on to being straight as much as i just wasn't i wasn't aware i wasn't sure right. and once you do know you kind of look backwards and like <laughs> oh that kind of makes sense now and that <laughs> like yes. a different, puts a different spin on things that have already happened even from way a long time ago
0: Yes. And I do want to congratulate you on year number two now with your husband, Joel. Oh, thank you. Which is a beautiful thing. And both still residing in Ohio, which I also said to you is not necessarily the gay mecca of the world at the time. So that's also (laughs) uh, great how that has changed too. And, you know, and not that your, your family was strict on religion in terms of those beliefs, but you had faith as part of your base that you were raised in your family. So you know, who's to say subconsciously or whatever it was, it just wasn't something that was ever talked about. You know, we talked about me being Catholic. I mean, my goodness. So I'm glad that it turned out to where it, didn't change your thoughts on your own personal faith and mm-hmm. that your family is great and supportive behind you. And so I'm, I'm, I'm loving all that.
1: Thank you. And certainly since then, things have gotten much better in our country, certainly in terms of legal rights for marriage equality. Yes. Um, but I really do feel for the people, trans folk and kids and other people that are living in the Texas, Florida, Tennessee, all these states that are putting in uh, really pretty draconian anti-LGBT and especially anti-trans bills. Mm-hmm. And so when I came out, I think it was a little more just not as talked about. And while we didn't have rights, to me it didn't feel as politically charged of an issue, with the exception of the AIDS crisis. And so there was a lot of uh, a lot of stuff going on on around that.
0: Which you got involved in, correct? So, yeah. yeah. So
1: a friend from the college ended up going to Union Theological Seminary in New mm-hmm. York. And so I visited him in early December, I believe, of 89. And I was talking to friends of his, and there were a bunch of them that were going down to a protest the next morning. So I walked with them the night before in Manhattan, and then we went to the protest the next day. And it was actually, you can Google it. Right now, and the front page of the New York Times was that particular ACT UP demonstration at St. Patrick's Cathedral. It was against Cardinal O'Connor, and it was a co-protest of WAM, Women's Action Mobilization, I believe it was called. Basically a pro-choice, poor abortion rights group, along with ACT UP. AIDS Mm -hmm. Coalition to Unleash Power. And it was against the churches basically condemning the use of condoms in places like Africa that had high rates of HIV transmission. Mm -hmm. And so not only were they homophobic, but they were blocking communities from getting access to condoms through the power that they had in, as I recall, especially in Africa. And it could have just saved thousands of lives. And so, you know, I'm an example of a survivor from that time that did not get sick, but there were lots of people that did not make it. And so these messages work. So you can imagine if the Catholic church had come out against vaccines for COVID, Mm -hmm. what would have happened in our country and around the world? So anyways, uh, there was a more, we were outside protesting, like most of us, there were some people that went inside the cathedral and broke the host and it was (laughs) a scandal like it was probably ACT UP's most controversial and just happened that I was at that one coincidentally. But then later when I came back to Cleveland, I joined the Cleveland chapter working on more local issues of policies that affect the uh, the Cleveland area.
0: But, you know, we also spoke about protests. So while you were involved, it was aside from that host breaking incident, but we talked about that Yes, there were still protests when we were younger, but they were kind of driven with an outcome in mind versus now it seems like it's just all everyone in the streets and and the more damage you can do or the more people that block a road, you you might have a mission that's serious behind the protest, but it gets lost because they're not working towards, uh, towards an outcome of what they want to get across, whether it's a bill or whether it's proper medication or anything like that.
1: Yeah. So I think the urgency and the specificity, in a sense, of the AIDS crisis meant that and the fact that people every week were meeting in New York at the Gay Men's Health Clinic crisis to figure out ways to stay alive, right? And so they were, in particular, uh, medications um, that were available, or testing that was or wasn't happening, or policies that the CDC had in approving medications, or some of the things, and just having public policy around it. And certainly, funding was a big piece. Yeah, and big. so the, the mm-hmm. so the protests that they had were very specific. And I really think that the term they used was actions. So it wasn't necessarily to protest. It was to say, we demand that this change happen Mm -hmm. and and to put pressure on it. And so a lot of information was also disseminated during these actions. And um, including um, back in the day, faxing uh, people And that would be like one form of action is to fly the fax machine. Uh, But that would also contain a lot of information there. Right. And so if I were to, I have done just a little bit um, with Black Lives Matter, but I think if like an equivalent might be rather than a general protest about a a police abuse of power that ends up killing a black person Mm -hmm. that happens all the time, I think the, the equivalent now would be a protest over a city undecided about whether to implement certain policies that we know improve the lives of Black Americans. And so it would be something pending at city council that an action would be to make that happen. And so they were more targeted and specific and looking at the steps needed to make change happen. And so whether it's training for police officers or different procedures for stop and frisk or pulling over drivers is a huge risk, things like that. There are best practices. Actually, we were talking with a colleague yesterday in the work that I do now where there was a friend where they needed to have a safety check because she was not responsive during a phone call and she has epilepsy. The only person in the city that she was living, the only entity that would do wellness checks were the police. Well, that's not the best choice for wellness check. You would want someone that's a medical person. If someone's having a mental health crisis, You want a mental health. So one of the easy low-hanging fruits in terms of making changes in terms of policing in our country is to allow 911 to dispatch to the type of social workers, mental health counselors, youth advocates, medical or police that need to come. Instead, there are people without college degrees that are coming with weapons in an adversarial way to try to de-escalate something that might actually need a different type of response. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that even the police unions are not necessarily opposed to.
0: No, because it, it, it gives them back some of their their personnel for emergencies, which is where I want to go with this conversation because, Ed, you're talking just like you did when we first connected. Your stories so tie into where you are today and why it's necessary. You shared with me your mediation career as of recent in the last two years. And I have been thinking about it since then, because I'm going to talk about it a little bit and then you'll correct me, but I'm so passionate about it. We've talked about some major issues, whether it's the trans community or police, brutality, etc., you are taking all that compassion and empathy that you learned along the way and have formulated a job that is incredibly important for the homeless in our society right now. And we all know it's on the rise. It's hit everywhere. And it's not just Los Angeles. It's everywhere. And I found it just so timely that we connected because it is a very tough subject but you and what you're doing is very solution and outcome based and i love it and i just want to get behind what you're doing because politically speaking i always say that you know if you lean too far to the left or the right you can't stand up straight right you're going to fall over and i feel like what you're doing is being that middle person and bringing communication from both sides to be able to execute a plan. I love that because I think about it with friendships. I think about it with neighborhoods. I mean, HOAs should have a mediator that's, (laughs) right? There's so many aspects in our life that could use that form of communication where you're just bridging the gap of both sides of thought. So can you share a little bit about how you got into the field that you're in now for the past couple of years, it's entrepreneurial, it's your business that you're doing, and I'm a huge fan and I just want everybody to hear
1: about it. So right after college, I managed a Chinese restaurant on the west side of Cleveland, really enjoyed it. But at the time I was also volunteering at two different agencies, the LGBT Center in Cleveland, where I ended up doing work for people who had been attacked and victimized in Cleveland and doing crisis response for them. And then I also volunteered at a mediation center that was located on the near west side of Cleveland. And the mediation can cover workplace disputes, it can cover legal kinds of things. We were a community agency mediating neighborhood disputes. We were founded as an alternative to the juvenile justice system. And so now the term is restorative justice. Mm -hmm. I don't even know that that term was around, but that's really what we were doing. And so rather than kids getting hauled into juvie court for things, we would offer them and whoever else was involved a mediation as a way to resolve those issues. Mm -hmm. So for instance, one of the conflicts was kids were like, I don't know, throwing paint balloons or something and, and got someone's garage messed up. And the result was they ended up painting the garage and the homeowner baked cookies and brought over lemonade. So the idea is to bring people together and to try to strengthen communities. From there, um, we ended up working on housing issues. And my boss at the time listened to a group of men who were experiencing homelessness that were veterans. And as far as I can tell, this may be the first example of what is now known as Housing First, where the veterans told my boss, who actually was also a veteran, that look, we're getting all these services, mental health, substance use, other kinds of services, but we're still unhoused. If you give us a place to live, a door that locks our own bed, we're no longer homeless. So he used that and we then started to do mediations between renters and property owners where there was a pending eviction and the renter was low income and really bad things would happen if they got evicted. And so we would mediate between them, eventually got funding to help negotiate and pay some of the back rent and to keep Mm -hmm. people housed. Later as part of like a national homeless response, a lot of focus was kind of moving those funds closer and closer to the shelter door or the place at which people would enter homelessness if they do get evicted. Mm -hmm. So in most communities, most people who get evicted actually stay with friends and family and get back on their feet. So stopping evictions is a good thing. It isn't directly tied to who becomes homeless so we were asked and i was asked to pilot a program called diversion where the goal is to meet people when they believe they are going to enter the homeless system and to work with them as we would a party in mediation to help them think through their issue help them recognize their own skills and strengths who's in mm-hmm. their support system and see if we can actually get them out of the shelter that day we had an overall one in four success rate a little bit higher for families not quite as high for individuals without kids and that became a national model i presented on it at a national conference Mm -hmm. and ended up training on that around the country for several years while i was at the mediation center after the mediation center i did conflict resolution work in healthcare at cleveland clinic akron general as an Mm -hmm. organizational staff ombudsperson. And then three years ago, I started my own business because there was enough people interested in having me come and work with their communities and sort of train and teach and coach this both approach which is client-centered, what we say is trauma-informed, meaning recognizing that a lot of people that have or are going to experience homelessness or in crisis, and how to best respond to them. And also like the skills and techniques to be able to be effective and helping people keep from being homeless or end their homelessness very quickly.
0: I mean, diversion is such a perfect name. And I don't know if you're set up for any follow-up where people can get in contract with your services, but it, it it is the part that delineates where we are right now with so many people in the street and so many on the verge of, Of losing their home for a variety of reasons. And there's this period of shame and not knowing what to do and where your resources are that if you can divert that situation and allow them to find hope, because we talked about this too, there's so much trauma associated being homeless. So you might stick your nose up in the air, but those are human beings. And a lot of times why they don't come back from that is they're just living in that fear-based lifestyle and it's just perpetuates year after year. And they think this is is my, this is my end game. This is where I I can, you know, where I'm going to end up. And you have such a compassionate way to train your resources and your clients to be out there and in the community to get there first. And and that's with anything, right? First mental health, illness, whatever. If you can if you can have some results in the beginning and not let it fester to where you're you're on the streets. I mean, I, I just I'm proud of the work that you're doing. And I just think it's so incredible. So that you were telling me that and I was like, this is one of our number one problems right now in America it's our own people in the streets. So, bless you for doing that and oh, well, and, uh, and not having a mental <laughs> if, breakdown yourself cuz it's yeah, a tough one. Yeah.
1: No, I mean, I enjoy the work and it can be really stressful, but you know, we we help staff engage with clients to talk about their strengths. And then when I'm working with staff and with their directors and leaders, we also talk about successes that they're having with clients. And so in order to kind of Keep doing it. You know, you want to look at the things that are working and focus on the successes and the positives and all yeah. Of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: I spoke to my my sister's a pastor on the far west side of Cleveland. and I spoke to a group at her church, just kind of an overview of homelessness, which was kind of different for me because I have this very early. You know, my work is based on trying to prevent people from experiencing right. it. Right. So this kind of had we look at literature and statistics and all that around what causes it and all of that. A couple of things that I learned from that, uh, first of all, the rates of homelessness across the country vary widely. And my guess is Michigan and Ohio would be pretty similar. And statistically, they're also the same as Texas. And if you compare Ohio for sure and Texas compared to California, there is an eight times greater incidence Homelessness in California, which is huge, right? And yeah. so there's a book that just came out in the last couple of years. So if people are curious and would like to know learn more about what is causing this increased rise in homelessness. It's by Greg Colburn, and it's called "Homelessness is a Housing Problem." And he's a professor and works also with a statistician, I believe, from Seattle. And they uh, really look at are there differences in drug use between Ohio, Michigan, Texas, and California? Are there differences in law? What are the things that are causing it? And the only thing that made the difference is housing costs. Okay. I think for forever we knew like Manhattan and most of the boroughs in New York were really expensive and San mm-hmm. Francisco was. But the best way to guess where the most amount of people experiencing homelessness is, is in these really high cost, low vacancy areas. And part of what drives that is actually geography. So if you think, well, what is the to the west of Los Angeles, it's the ocean. <laughs> right. what's, what's to the east are mountain ranges. Right. And so, a lot of California is not inhabitable. Now, there are political things, there are financial things that go into yeah. this. But but a lot of the really high rates of homelessness in our country are, in fact, tied to lack of housing. We did not rebuild enough homes from the 2008 recession. Yep. So, we see, unfortunately, homelessness everywhere. But the huge surge has been in these areas where the, the market is so tight that people can't find units and that just drives the prices up.
0: So I do want to, I'll drop a couple things after, you know, this is over for listeners to get the book and a little bit more about what you're doing with Diversion, because I think it's important. So thank you for, for sharing that. Sure. Hey, sorry for the interruption. I've got some sweet news to share about old time candy. They're all about bringing back the classic candies we grew up with in love. How you ask? With the decades box, of course. It's like taking a time machine back to your childhood only sweeter. Personally, I've ordered from Old Time Candy to add some pizzazz to friends' milestone birthdays. And wow, was it a hit. Each box is jam-packed with goodies from the decade of your choice that will transport you back in time with a single bite. Plus, this family-owned business has been run by candy lovers for candy lovers since 2000. So if you're eager to relive the good old days, go ahead and check out Old Time Candy. You won't regret it. All right, now let's get back to the show. I do want to have a little bit of fun. So I do want to ask you if you had any kind of favorite candies growing up, because one of the things you're going to get at home (laughs) are uh, a treat of the 70s
1: candies. So did you ever
0: like go up, take your bike to the store or anything like that and and get your 25 cent candy bar?
1: Well, I worked at a a drugstore when I was in in high school, Wesley Drugs. Oh, yeah. Yeah in beverly hills yeah. yes and i thought it was um, called
0: band drugs was it matt
1: there's that may be a different one yeah okay um and then i remember going up to a kind of a deli convenience store place on southfield yes. that sold haagen-dazs scoops and i swear they were like 50 cents
0: yes scoop. Like, yes
1: i know this is way back but still no even that, I- it was it was a really good price i'm like oh my gosh so i would get double double chocolate chip so in terms of candy I like Twizzlers, those kind of things. Uh, my husband, Joel, loves those. And also, like, this is it Swedish Fish or one of those kind of things? Yes,
0: yes, One of those yes. kind of things. Yes. But I just pulled out, I mean, those are still around, which which are great. But this box, I have a box here, too, but I pulled out two that I couldn't get over. I forgot about. Do you remember Spree's? They're little Fingley. fruit Yeah, they're like little fruit pieces. And I don't know why, but Spree's were were really good and they were discontinued. Okay. And then Warhead's. Did you oh, ever have oh, any warheads? This
1: is vaguely familiar. Right? Yeah. It's like you forget
0: yeah. until you see. So anyway, I hope you enjoy the box. Oh, thank it's, you. It's, okay. It's going to well, be fun. It's going to be a fun trip down down memory lane and nothing's a quarter anymore. All right. And then just in closing, I want to do a couple remember when type of things. We'll just do kind of a quick speed round and pick real quickly. Okay. So how about every breath you take by the police or Mm -hmm. don't stop believing by journey? Which one would be your favorite?
1: (laughs) I would definitely at the time it would be every breath you take. Yes, I, I associate the other ones with the Sopranos long after we graduated.
0: Oh, yeah, that's yeah, good too. Yeah. Yes, and yes. I
1: saw them on that tour um, in Detroit, and Joan Jet opened. The, oh, wow! Yeah, it was amazing.
0: Very cool on the police tour. Yeah, we talked about Cindy Lauper. So, what about mm-hmm. "Girls Just Want to Have Fun" by Cindy Lauper, mm-hmm. or "I Am the Tiger" by Survivor?
1: Girls, uh, hands down, girls just want to yeah, have fun. Yeah. Cindy Lauper's,
0: and she's still amazing. So amazing now, amazing. Yeah, I don't know what TV show. So I'm just going to try this and see which one might hit the Cosby show versus Cheers. Which one? You
1: don't need to, I don't I don't even know if they were on. I thought that was a little bit later. I would say Hill Street Blues.
0: Oh, very good. Yeah, I love that. Night Rider or The Golden Girls?
1: <laughs> I discovered The Golden Girls much later. All my good friends are like, you don't know The Golden Girls? I'm oh, like, I just like them. I just never watched it. I started to watch it and it's phenomenal. So It's I'll phenomenal. Go. It's and, and, so good.
0: And really, that show and looking back, even like The Waltons, there's some great topics that they oh, touched yeah. upon. Comedy is is a joy if you can weave in topics that might be a little bit you know, taboo, but they did such a really good job. So I, I love growing pains yeah. too. And then, how about French fries or hamburger?
1: <laughs> French fries. Um, really? I, I, yeah. I'm Are vegan. you vegetarian? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So. At
0: the time, I mean, when I was young, um, I don't
1: remember what I probably would have said pizza or something. But
0: um, that's another one: pizza, yeah, yeah. Yes. pizza, okay, pizza, or nachos. Yeah. yeah.
1: So I've only I've won two things in my life. Yeah. One of the things was growing up. Every Sunday night, we would get Little Caesars and watch sixty minutes. And uh, my brother or my dad, someone put in our name and we wanted Atari that <gasps> we had, the original Atari that we had. You're um, kidding. Yeah. And so we would have in the basement, Dave Boyd, my brother and I would watch MTV, have friends over, and then we had the Atari set up.
0: So cool.
1: Early MTV, though, there was a men's clothing Mm-hmm. It was primarily on cable and he would try to sell you to come in and he would say, so our prices are good to save you more beer money. And that was his like sign off. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was our catchphrase in high school. Was e. he Orland, local? Beer money. That's oh, yeah, Totally cable, g- grain. Oh, you know, commercial. Oh my that's it was, funny. It was like whoever did his advertising, like it was pretty good.
0: Oh, that's funny. What was your first car?
1: vw fox uh manual yeah
0: you were fancy
1: oh it's not a fancy car but i i mostly have driven manuals my whole life so but growing up in detroit made a huge difference in my interest in cars and driving and music so i really appreciated growing up there living in cleveland i sort of don't think cleveland has as much of a clear like Detroit, you know what it's known well, for. Well, that was their footprint.
0: That was, you yeah. Know, the, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. They were founded on Motown and and cars. Yeah. You know, have you been back?
1: Yeah, we, we went uh, back a year ago. Uh, I actually I love seeing concerts in Detroit. Okay. there it's a great place to go just to see shows. Mm-hmm. So I saw uh, Austin band Spoon there. Okay, and we stayed at the most amazing hotel in downtown. It's called the Siren. Oh, it's a small boutique hotel. I mean, once once we found it, we were looking for places to hang out. And the best cocktail bar in Detroit was said to be right near there. When we walked into the lobby, we realized it was in the lobby of a hotel. Oh, And you'll like this. The name of the bar is the Candy Bar.
0: Oh, Oh, Located in the
1: Siren. And you have to have reservations. It is very small. It's packed. And it is just, it's nothing like that in Cleveland. You feel like you're in... Um, like an old time. It's, it, yeah. It's so, it's so cool.
0: So then just in closing, I want to talk about my little final segment called Dr. Pepper, the sweeter life, because I try mm. to play off of my name. So where do you see yourself? You know, I we've talked about this. You could do this job the rest of your life. But what are your aspirations for retirement or, or just life beyond all of this with you and your and your husband, Joel?
1: Yeah, so Joel's a little bit younger. So um, we're hoping to have him retire a little bit early. And then the kind of work I'm doing, hopefully, I'll be able to kind of just kind to tamp down the number of contracts that I have. okay. So I could continue to work a little bit longer. He could retire a little bit earlier and that would work out. There's a historic section of Cleveland. Actually, it's in Cleveland Heights in East Cleveland that we're okay. moving to. Actually, we should be closing in June. And these were 81 homes that were built by Nelson Rockefeller. East Cleveland is the second poorest city in all of Ohio. And so okay. not everyone wants to live there. But this neighborhood is beautiful these are houses built ours is built in 1929 they were built by an architect that he knew from Manhattan that it that was designing apartments in New York so some of the things that you see inside the homes are very uh user friendly we're gonna have a uh, first floor laundry that was designed that way in 1929 which i don't know many homes that had that kind of thing yeah so no. um so that's kind of our big move coming up that's and, beautiful um, yeah thanks so it'll and it has like a you know, like extra like a big ever lived in a place with like three bathrooms before yeah. all that. yeah. And so, uh, so it'll be kind of fun. So friends from uh, Detroit, we will have a place for you to stay.
0: I was going to say, now that we're reconnected, that yeah, sounds absolutely. like a
1: yeah. really cool place yeah. to visit.
0: Yeah. That's beautiful. Good for you. That sounds terrific. So I can't, I can't wait to see it. I need to let you get back to work here, but I cannot thank you enough. Not only has today been fun, but just reconnecting with you yesterday, some, some of those conversations, I just want to Bottle up and hold dear to my heart because it was really, really enjoyable that. To- to speak with you even before today. So I know the listeners gained a lot of insight like I did and what work you're doing. And I can't wait to just continue to talk about it every once in a while. Update me so I can shout it out to the universe because I think it's so important in what you're doing. So thank you so much. And I'm so glad to have you on.
1: Leanne, thank you. I really, uh, really enjoyed it. You're such a great interviewer and listener, and it just made it really fun.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, we will keep in touch for sure. So thank you so much. All right, friends, that's it for this episode of Class Reunion podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show, write us a review and share this podcast with a friend. Until next time.